And a good Wednesday morning to you, and welcome into Darren, Donick, and Chase here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Darren McFarland, Chase McCabe alongside. Willie D will join us here in a couple of minutes. He is in town today before heading uh, to Denver, Colorado. Tomorrow to be the Predators in the Avalanche, and right now the Avs are on the struggle bus a little bit. Oh, that's just too bad. <laughs> That's, that just stinks. Kick them while they're down. Why that just stinks. They I mean, went to Dallas you, last night and lost, and they've got two of their big three out. I was about to say they're they're missing a couple of key components there. Yeah, they're so. kind of good. Those kind of those guys but are kind of good. That shows you, you know, when the Predators were missing a couple of key components in Duchesne and Forsberg, they just kind of kept on going. So that has to make you feel a little bit better about things in the Central Division when you see one of the other top teams lose two of their stars and. They're, as you say, on the struggle bus a little bit. Yep. Marquise is working a little overtime on the glass till. Marquise, what's up, man? Max Hello, Herbs fellas. How's it going? Just couldn't get enough of this today. I can't, man. No, Every time good. I see you in the hallway, it just hurts me inside that knowing you're going to do a radio show without me. Yeah, that was a, that was a total lie. But it sounded good. You I sold believe it well. him. You sold it well. Your nose just hit the glass. I, I love you guys, him. but I got love for everybody, I man. I, I, I will do all shows if, if it was possible, if my energy level was enough where I can do all of them. I kid. I kid. Hope everybody's having a good day. By the way, it's beautiful outside. Should be feels a good great. Mood. It does. It feels fantastic. Although I think it's about to take a turn over the weekend. Or like Sunday and Monday. I think it's well, going to start getting really cold. I think really Thursday cold. we're Is supposed it? to have some rain and it gets colder. And it's going to, yeah, it's going to yeah, get colder so. and colder. But hey, we are in November. Yeah, so tough. these things kind of happen. Uh, last night, college basketball happened. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. We're excited. By the way, Andrew Marinus will join us. In studio, next segment, to talk about his new book that is out, Games of Deception. We'll get into all that with Andrew in just a bit. Also, uh, our weekly with Tim Hasselbeck at high Mm -hmm. noon. Tom Hart in the second hour. Weekly with Chris Mason in the fourth and final hour. So we had a lot of things on the program to get to. But first, the first installment of the rankings came out last night and we did have a little bit of a twist we talked about it yesterday with mitch light and uh in fact i even brought up clemson like okay alabama's resume doesn't look great but neither does clemson's right apparently the room didn't feel that they felt the same way because clemson not in the top four no no they are fifth uh, so the top four, Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Alabama 3, Penn State 4, then Clemson 5, Georgia, Oregon 6 and 7. And I was listening to Morning Drive today, and I heard Braden make the remark of Dabo Sweeney is probably like the happiest guy in America because these don't matter. These rankings don't matter right now. And Clemson is you know on the outside looking in. I think that's going to change quite a bit because I, I think when you – way the best teams the best four teams Clemson is definitely one of the best four teams I just understand that it's the strength of schedule and resume and all of that um I just Penn State is not going to stay there I think Penn State's a good team but I don't think they're one of the top four so I I wouldn't read too much into it Ohio State number one though I, I was wondering if they'd go LSU or Ohio State I guess they like Ohio State a little bit better. Um, I mean, and look, we've seen them this year. They're, the eyeball they're, test looks yeah, good. Yeah, the, the eyeball test does look pretty good. So um, there you go. That's the first rankings. Alabama, number three, is where I had them. I don't think any arguments there. Uh, and um, so there you go. That's I mean, and Penn State, right, their, their schedule gets beefy here yeah. the next three weeks. Like, they're going to have some. They're at Minnesota. 
this Saturday. And that's not going to be easy. Well, Minnesota's undefeated. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, look. Penn State Penn should State, win that right. game. Penn State should win the game. I mean, look, again, it's kind of going back to who are you? You're Penn State. They're Minnesota football. Like, I get it. It's been it's been nice story for Minnesota. They're at home. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be crazy. But in the end, over four quarters, like Penn State needs to pull away and win that game by double yeah. digits. Okay, that that's just my assessment. And then they play Indiana. Indiana's scrappy, man. They are not your typical Indiana football. Pretty good this year. They're they're not an they're not an easy out. But still, once again, you're Penn State. They're Indiana football. You should take care of business. Then comes the big one november 23rd right right that in columbus penn state and ohio state and that's just like this weekend with alabama and lsu something something's gonna give no but see here here's the difference in that i think alabama lsu we all agree is gonna be a close game it could go either way it could be a coin we don't know that though but we i feel that way was it close last year that's last year this is a much better lsu team yeah LSU overachieved last year. Now they're okay. they're a much better team. So I think it's going to be close. I don't think Ohio State Penn State's close. You don't think it's close? No, I think Ohio State wins that by at least two touchdowns. Mm. Look at you already putting that out there. I I just That's not I think till Ohio, November twenty third. You guys Ohio have got all, all this mapped Man. out. You got this mapped out for the next month. Jeez, you said ten oh five, Willie, and it was ten oh four thirty three. So you came in under. Wow, how about that? Thanks to the, you know the navigation systems, they're pretty accurate. How do they do that? I always say I don't know like, how they're, they're like Vegas. Do that. They just I'm, know. I'm always trying to fool them too. Me like, too. I, I can you know over two hours I, I make sh- up five, I shave ten up, minutes. I shave yeah, off minutes. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to do it, but, but still it's usually overall right on it. it's it's pretty dead on. Like I, I always want like how do they do that? How does it know exactly when you're going to it's, arrive? It's like Vegas. Vegas knows something. They do. They do. So. A little bit of a surprise, but you know, in the end, once again, it, it's just something. It's a talking piece. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It at the means end of the day, it doesn't matter because it'll all play its way out. That's just that's just how it works. We are, like we already said it. The top four teams are going to play each other: Alabama, LSU, this weekend, and Penn State and Ohio State on November twenty third. And we'll see if, by the way, both of them are still in the top four. Yeah, by November twenty well, third, we top- don't even know that. The top four is going to look different no matter what next week because Alabama and LSU both can't win. One's going to lose, so it's going to look different in some ways. Now, if LSU loses, I think there's an argument that they could still be in the top four, depending on how the game goes, if it's close. But, you know, if Alabama loses, they probably fall out. Clemson could slide in, depending on what happens this weekend elsewhere, but... The thing that's interesting to me is the one-loss Georgia team is still six. So they're right there. Oklahoma, with one loss, is probably in trouble at ninth because that Kansas State loss just – It's a bad, it's a bad loss. But it's, but South Carolina was too, so – Yeah, at home. At home. So it's interesting that they – South Carolina at home. Just think about that one. Yikes. But, but obviously they weighed Kansas State heavier than they did South Carolina because they – True. They have them at six, so – one thing that doesn't get discussed enough once, you know, when you say, oh, it's meaningless. I mean, it's not really meaningless because it is a gauge. It lets you know what the room is thinking. So Very it's true. not meaningless. It's letting us inside. And you, if you listen to Rob Mullins last night, who's the chair, you know, you, it, they, they're, they're letting you in the room kind of to, to know the vibe and let you know what they're thinking. It was very clear that, I'll, I'll say this, 
They've done their homework. They've watched these teams because when he's naming off players, I was impressed by that. Yeah. You know, when he was like talking about Ohio State and he's like, you know, Chase Young's one of the best players in the country. Okay. I get it. You could pick up a magazine or you could you could find that, but but still to me it sounds like okay, at least they're they're paying close attention because by the way, he is going to be a top 5 pick in the draft for sure. He's that good. But it lets you in the room a little bit to kind of let let you know the mindset of what's going on. And right. but the the part that we don't factor in enough is once this is out there and this is the gauge, we don't factor up or factor in how teams, players, and coaches, and sometimes fan bases, how the things get tight because there's pressure now, right? Right, yeah. And that's how these upsets happen all – I mean, we can go through the last four years and think of, like, did anybody see Oklahoma Kansas State coming? And this was pre-this. Right. Like These things happen all the time. Remember, what was it? Willie, Oklahoma State was like right there in the top four – and then they go to Iowa State, go to Ames on a Thursday night and lose, and yeah. it wrecks their whole season. That I want to say was that might was that possibly 2011 after Bama that let Bama back in it, right? Yeah, that sounds that was, right. That was before the college football it was playoff. Before the playoffs. So yes. what happened was Oklahoma State was undefeated, if I remember correctly. Yes, they LSU were. beat Bama in the field goal kicking contest, the nine yep. six game. Six. And then it was between Oklahoma State and Bama. They had to choose. And then they went to Ames and lost to Iowa State. Well, even and even after they lost that game, I thought it was an interesting ba- debate between Oklahoma State and Alabama. It was still they were both one loss teams, and Bama got the nod. I thought it was debatable, but you're right. I mean, Oklahoma State all they had to do was win the game against Iowa State. There, there will be one of those. That's so, what I'm getting at. There is pressure. Have one well, and there's so, pressure. That's what I'm getting at. Is everybody's yes. going? You got to win. It's hard you're, to be perfect. And now you've got to be perfect. It's hard to be perfect. So besides LSU and Alabama this weekend, because we know one of them is going to lose. Of the rest of the top five, I mean, Penn State has to play Ohio State. So we just talked about that. But you look at their schedules. I mean, for Ohio State. You know, going on what I just said, I think they beat Penn State. The only one that I would worry about a little bit is Michigan just because it's a rivalry game, but I don't think Michigan beats them. So I don't know where they slip up. Where does Clemson slip up? They don't. They're, they're, their schedule's soft. Yeah. That's I mean, what we talked about yesterday, Clemson. They, I mean, if you're going to rip on Alabama's soft schedule, then you have to rip on Clemson's soft schedule. They're at NC State and then Wake at home and then at South Carolina. Wow. Murder's row. Hashtag not. No. Just if they're undefeated, they'll be in there. I think. Oh, yeah. I agree. They will be. And they, they probably should be. But it's still, you know, you you could have an argument if you're Georgia or Oregon, you know. Oregon especially. Because right now, Oregon's only loss is Auburn. Yeah, but Georgia can play themselves in, I think. Yeah. They run, run the, the SEC. Table, run the table. They can play their yep. play their way I in. don't think there's any question. Because their schedule their schedule's brutal. Well, show me a team that's if you're if you're if you win the SEC, you're going to be in there. Yeah. Well, and look at the teams they'll have to beat to right, do that. Right. Nobody else can do that. The Nobody else can have those signature they're wins. They're shoe in. Yeah. And if Alabama or LSU, whoever they beat in the SEC title game, if they only have one loss, which is to the other one, they're probably in too. I think the loser. Uh, of the I SEC, like their chances of having two. The SEC. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think the winner and loser of the SEC title game could get in. All right, we'll come back. 
Andrew Marinus, the author of the book Games of Deception, it is out. We're going to talk about that with him. On the other side, Darren, Donnie, and Chase, ESPN 1025, The Game. Little Billy Joel bringing us back on this Wednesday morning. Darren, Donick, and Chase. And now Andrew. Andrew Marinus, the author. Games of Deception is in the studio with us. We used to talk to Andrew when he was running the Tampa Bay Devil Rays Media okay. Relations Department. All right, stop right there because I've been thinking about this yeah. since the Nationals won the World uh, Series. All right. Davey Martinez was playing for the Devil Rays. Okay, now tell the story about the road trip where <laughs> That's right. Dave so I, Martinez was forgot. that when Lou Pinello was there? Uh no, Larry Rothschild was the manager. Larry Rothschild's okay. manager. David Martinez on the team, so the team is about just to played. Go to They're about to go on a road trip. We're about okay. to go on a road trip. This I is was... one of the best stories ever. I wanted to tweet this out and I but I, I didn't want to blow the cover here. <laughs> I was the media relations manager for the Rays their first year, ninety eight. Uh, we were just finished a home game, you know, like one of those early games. So you're getting ready in the clubhouse to head out to Cleveland on the beginning of a road trip. Somehow, Davey Martinez had no shoes. <laughs> and so I'm the like lowliest guy in the clubhouse at that moment. He looks at me. He's like, you look like you might wear the same size <laughs> as me. Give me your shoes. <laughs> you know. And I, at that point, like I would do whatever any of those yeah. guys said. So I was like. Here you go. And so I drove home with no shoes that night. <laughs> he flew to Cleveland wearing my shoes. <laughs> Did you get the shoes back? I don't think so. Maybe I'll get a World Series ring out of this or something, I know. right? Yeah. You might want to remind to him. Drop yeah. him a line. Yeah. Hey, Davey, you know, yeah. now that you're on top of the world, uh, Actually, you owe me a pair of shoes. Send him a book with a special note that says, I'm the guy you took the shoes from in 1998. That's right. That's right. Here's a book on me. Do you have my shoes? Yeah. Fair, fair trade. That's a good. So you just looked at your, you looked at your, looks about right. So I guess they fit. Yeah. Right? It must have worked. Yeah. I wish what? I had his swing too. Well, how much? How much did you ever think that he was? K- I mean, here we sit twenty years later, and now he's just led the Nationals to a World Series championship. I mean, yeah. I mean, at that time, I wasn't really thinking about him as a potential manager, but he was a really smart guy, and he was a mature guy, so it doesn't surprise me at all. And he was really well liked by everybody in the in the organization. Hopefully, he sh- he showed up to those big games with his shoes on. Hopefully. <laughs> So he lost his mind uh, during the World Series almost. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But he had his shoes. Yeah, no, he wasn't yelling at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a little, uh, what, re- uh, unveiling last night? So yeah. Tell everybody about it. It was great. So my new book, Games of Deception, is a story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team at the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany. And last yesterday was the publication date. And so the first event was last night at Parnassus Bookstore in Green Hills, and uh, Rudy Kalis was there to moderate a discussion, and uh, we had a great crowd there. Uh, it was wonderful to get this new book uh, started here in Nashville. So tell us a little bit behind what went into this. Obviously, the last time we were talking about a book, it made sense. We understand right. being here in Nashville, but what, what about this? What was the so, motivation for this? So I was actually in Lawrence, Kansas a few years ago to speak about Strong Inside, my first book about Perry Wallace. And while I was there, I'd never been to a Jayhawks game or anything. And they didn't have a game while I was there, but I wanted to visit Allen Fieldhouse. And so uh, they showed me around. And in Allen Fieldhouse, they have this great museum, uh, you know, basically just as good as the Basketball Hall of Fame with the great tradition they have there. And one of the things they have is James Naismith's original rules of basketball. 
under glass, kind of like you see the Constitution at the wow. archives in D.C. And then right next to it, they had a picture of Naismith, the inventor of basketball, with a Japanese basketball player from the 1930s. And the guy showing me around said, did you know that Naismith got to travel to the Olympics to see his invention make its Olympic debut? And I had no idea. And so I even just asked him, like, well, which Olympics was that? And when he said it was the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany, I thought, well, this is a story that me as a sports fan doesn't know. I bet a lot of other people don't know it either. And so that was the inspiration to write this book. Wow. So what were some I, cool- I definitely did not know. I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know anything I would about that. Most do not. Yeah. yeah. And those, it's interesting because those Olympics are so well-known. You know, I Yeah, mean, for Jesse Owens for and Jesse all that Owens stuff. And yeah. That book, Boys in the Boat, that was so popular, Unbroken, about Louis Zamperini. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Owens, the uh, film that Lenny Riefenstahl made, the documentary about those Olympics, it's been well scrutinized, but nobody has really talked about uh, basketball. So I was fortunate to have that story to tell. So what were some cool things you uncovered doing research for this yeah. book? Well, one interesting thing was the way the team was created. Um, players didn't try out as individuals the way they would now. They tried out as teams. And so there was a, a qualifying tournament that culminated at Madison Square Garden with all the best amateur teams in the country. Um, white teams, African-American players were not allowed to try out in the 1930s. Um, so you had teams from YMCA's from colleges and from AAU. And at that time, AAU wasn't like young phenoms. It was college graduates. There was no <laughs> the shoe in- companies. Weren't, yeah, uh, they weren't. Uh, and there was just more in the thirties. I could have been in the Olympics. Could have been in the Y team. Could have got a tryout. Um, I probably couldn't have. Right. <laughs> yeah. no, I don't think not. I could have either, but um, the best two teams, the idea was whoever made it to the championship of this tournament would become the U S Olympic team. The two teams would be combined. And so, it was a team representing an oil refinery in the middle of Kansas, in McPherson, Kansas, where I'm going next week to talk about this book, which will be fun, and a team from Universal Pictures in Hollywood. They sponsored a team as a way to promote their movies. Uh, they would have players dress up as the characters from some of their most popular movies before <laughs> the games and entertain the crowd. The guy that created the team was the makeup artist at the studio <laughs> who created the look for Frankenstein and for the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And so they had a player named Frank Lubin who was six seven that they would put in the Frankenstein costume and all the green paint. And he'd have to wipe that paint off before the game started. Sometimes he'd be playing like green, you know, in these <laughs> basketball games. So, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to this story about basketball and also about the, the Nazi whole side of the story. But just how the team was created, I thought was fascinating. Just to do this, to go down, because obviously your your last book was so it was incredible. Tell, take us through like the steps of okay, so this gets your attention. Now you start doing some research, and now you start going down that rabbit hole. At, at what point did? How do you know when? Okay, at first you may say I'm on to something, but how long does it take where you're like, man, this is even better than I thought, or I'm sure you've had ideas where you start going down that rabbit hole and you're like, eh, probably not, not what I thought. This is probably not going to lead to a book. Right. So, well, for me, first of all, I have to pitch it uh, to a publisher. And so I sent them five ideas for books and this was one of them. And this is the one that they liked the most. And I'm Hmm. glad that that was the case because it was a really, did you think that was going to be the case? No, I wasn't sure. You know, one of the other books was an idea about the coach temple and tiger bells here in Nashville. And I thought that they might select that one. Um, but I think the combination of this origin story of basketball, it's such a popular sport and such a controversial Olympics. 
um, it makes sense. This is the title they chose. I think there'll be natural interest in this from a lot of people. So I spent a lot of time. I had a year to write this book, unlike uh, Strong Inside, which I spent eight years. I was just working saying, you on. spent a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly visiting archives and libraries and visiting with the sons and daughters of these players. No one was still alive from the '36 team, so it's a completely different experience. Where with Strong Inside, I spent eight years with Perry Wallace, the subject of the book. I, you, you can obviously feel this when you're talking about it, but basketball is such a, a city game in a lot of ways now. It, it really wasn't back then, was it? Well, it was a mix, and I write about that in the book. Yeah. So it was a city game in New York City. You know, it yeah. was very popular in New York at that time. Uh, if You know, the history of, of basketball was very popular in Jewish community in New mm-hmm. York City then and with other immigrants in the city. Um, but it was also a country game. Um, so Kansas, Indiana, you think about like the – kid that puts a rim up on the side of a barn or something right right? there were those guys representing the mcpherson team then there were the city kids from los angeles representing the universal side and then they played at madison square garden which was the center of basketball at that point in history already by the 1930s so what was the i'm I'm sure the way each place learned the game there was probably a lot of differences right just it's a brand new game right trying to come up with strategies Exactly. So the the two teams that were combined had very different styles. The team from McPherson, Kansas, was more of what we would consider modern-day basketball. Their coach liked to press. He liked to fast break. Other coaches around the country criticized him. You know, So they said, that's not real basketball. Um, and he would say, well, it might not be real basketball, but we're just still going to kick your butt. You know, and like, yeah. He was very outspoken, wore fancy suits. Like He was sort of the modern-day coach. The uh, team from Los Angeles, they called themselves the Sure Passers as if that was like exciting, you know, (laughs) and they would walk the ball up and down the court. We're very sort of maybe like a Princeton style of team, maybe of that time. There were guys that could dunk a player named Joe Fortenberry from the, from the Kansas side was considered the first player ever to dunk the basketball, which probably isn't literally true, but he was the first player to dunk at Madison square garden. And so, you know how New York media is. He was the first guy to do it in New York. He's the first guy to do it ever. Right. And (laughs) New York times described his unusual shooting motion as if it was like a diner customer dunking their roll in coffee. And that's where that term came from. Wow. So what were the rules like back then compared to what we watched? This is what I'm curious about, how much it's changed. Yeah. So uh, the main rules difference was the center jump, which they did after every made basket in the Olympic tournament. Already in the United States by that time, they were moving away from that, but the Olympic rules were a little bit older. And so the U.S. had a huge advantage as far as that was concerned because they had the tallest players by far in the tournament. So they would score, and there would be a jump ball, and they'd win the jump ball and keep the possession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after every basket? After every basket. So you Ooh. can imagine how that would slow down wow. a game. Better um, be able to play defense. James Naismith. The and inventor- win a jump ball, one or the other. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Naismith, the inventor of the game, really loved that part of the game. He thought that the most interesting part of any sporting event was uncertainty. And so he considered mm-hmm. the jump ball a moment of uncertainty, like who's going to get the possession here? And so for years he was standing by uh, that rule that he came up with, but – Thankfully, other people uh, presided, and you know we changed that rule. Would they bring it back to center court? Like, they would. Oh yes. wow! Yes. Uh, so when he, when Naismith was at the Olympic tournament, he kept a diary, which I found, and he said that the Philippine team was really good, but they just didn't have the height, and he felt like if they had taller players, they could have competed. An interesting thing about the way the Olympic tournament was played is the the Germans had them play outside on clay tennis courts not in a gym. <laughs> and so they converted these tennis courts into the, the basketball courts and they promised, you know, we're going to have good weather. This will be great under the open air. 
And then, of course, for the gold medal game, it was a driving rainstorm. It started a day before, and they said, well, we play soccer outside, so you're going to play basketball On outside. a clay court. On a clay court. And so it just became this huge mud puddle. The players all talked about this after the game, and they thought it was a joke of a game. They couldn't dribble. The ball just plop and get stuck <laughs> in the mud. The ball got waterlogged and turned to be really heavy. So the score was 19-8 to of the first gold medal basketball game, USB Canada, spoiler alert. And um, they uh, – only scored eight points total in the second half. I mean, it was just wow. sort of a joke of a game. So, so how how I, I, we can all picture where the game was worldwide when the Dream Team came on, right in nineteen ninety two, and where it was worldwide. But back then, who was playing basketball? Like, who had picked up the game? Right. So it was slow to catch on in Europe at that point. You know, we think about all the great European teams now, but they weren't that good in that tournament. the the goal, The silver medalist was Canada. The bronze medalist was Mexico. So North America were the best teams in the in the world. But other countries were playing. More countries entered the first Olympic basketball tournament in 1936 than competed in any other sport in those Olympics. 32 teams were in the tournament initially. Then uh, only 31 participated because the Spanish Civil War broke out right as those Olympics were starting. And Spain forfeited their games and went back to, to Spain to fight in a war. Crazy. Well, I wonder what the fans in Germany thought. Like, what? What is this game they're playing? Well, over I here? found an article in the uh, Der Angriff, which is one of the Nazi propaganda newspapers, calling basketball a dark art. Interesting to talk, think about Nazis calling something else a, a dark art, and they were encouraging people to go watch these games. They thought it would be inter- an entertaining uh, form of sports that they hadn't seen before. Mm. More with Andrew Marinus on the other side. The book is Games of Deception. The true story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team in the 1936 Olympics. You're listening to Darren Donick and Chase on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Andrew Marinus in studio with us. His second book is out, Games of Deception. Look how much, I mean, the first book was a huge success, but I mean, it took him eight years. It should be, right? Look how far he's come. This one took a year. I mean, how sad. He's grinded right through it. John Feinstein style. Andrew has become his second book is like I don't need eight no. I can do it in a year that's right I just made everything up and made it a lot quicker. <laughs> hey but it's a hell of a story what, why let the truth get in the way of a good story right, right. What, what I think is uh, and I was commenting on this during the break what I think is cool about this is your, your first book was when Perry Wallace enrolled in 1966 this took place in 1936 just to see the changes in the game of basketball in that 30 year time span because by the 60s that's when it's becoming prominent, you know, in a in a big time sport. The NBA is taking off, and all of that. And I know that you were doing research, you know, in different different eras. But what have you learned about just how much it changed in that thirty years? Yeah, it's a good question. It's interesting that basketball is such a relatively recent invention, you know, and that we know essentially when it was invented, December right. eighteen ninety one. We know there was a first game. There's a sketch of the very first basketball game. We don't know that about football or or baseball right right, or soccer or any other sport um and what what i think is interesting to trace that evolution of the game is how quickly you can do it like a six degrees of separation type of game you know you've got james naismith who coached fog allen fog allen coached adolph rupp adolph rupp coached pat riley pat riley signed lebron james so from (laughs) naismith to james with what three people in between is pretty remarkable uh a quick history and quick evolution of the sport of basketball that we all love. Where does the Dean Smith 
thing start? Didn't he have a Kansas? He, had a, he played yeah. in Kansas. That's yeah. what I thought. Right, so. right. so when you go to the um, Allen Fieldhouse Museum, like I was talking about, yeah, right, so you could do the same thing with Michael right. Jordan if you so wanted to. So you can do the derivatives a lot of different yeah. ways. It all comes back to that, it right? It all comes back to that. Yep. And it was Fog Allen who really was the driving force behind basketball even being included in the Olympics. Uh, Naismith really saw basketball just as exercise, something t- for people to do in the winter when they weren't playing baseball or football. It was uh, Fog Allen who really thought of basketball the way we think of it now as a, a tournament game, a spectator sport, a way to make money and like have big crowds. And so he was the one that uh, helped form the National Association of Basketball Coaches, which created um, the NCAA tournament. And he was pushing for basketball to be in the Olympics going back to the 1920s. He was pushing it for it in the 1932 Olympics, which were in Los Angeles. He thought they would pick it, you know, in this country, but they didn't. And so he had actual connections within Nazi Germany that he was lobbying that helped him um, get basketball included in 36. Well, and I feel like being in the Olympics really helped the sport take off. So this is probably when the modern day basketball that we all know really started. Yeah, it was really its sort of international debut where a lot of countries uh, came together for the first time, were able to see the way the good teams like the Americans were playing the game. There was one American player named Frank Lubin who had played at UCLA, whose parents were Lithuanian. And after the Olympics, the country of Lithuania asked him to stay in Europe and come to their country to teach the game there. And so the guys that he coached um, later became coaches themselves, and they were coaches on the 1972 uh, Soviet Olympic team that beat us in basketball for the first time. And then Lithuania gains its independence. You have the famous teams from, what was it, 92 or 96 with the tie-dye shirts, yeah. you know, and guys like Arvidas Sabonis and Sharunas Marshallunas, they know Frank Lubin is their James Naismith. Wow. So there is that connection from the first Olympic basketball yeah. team so of the there's why, world I mean, basketball. We have, people have probably wondered at some point, why was Lithuania right. so good at basketball? But that's, yeah, it all so goes back to this yeah. first Olympic so, uh, basketball team. So how many countries actually had a basketball team? Oh, in the Olympics, it was 32 at the start, and then Spain left for the Spanish Civil right. War, so there were 31 that played in the in the tournament. That's what's remarkable to me, that even at that time, you had I wouldn't have that many that. teams. I yeah, have I thought, thought it would have been like eight. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> or half of that. Yeah. yeah. One reason for that is that the fact that the game was invented at the International YMCA Training School. That's where Naismith was. And so the whole point of this school was to send people out around the world to run YMCAs. And so they would take this new game they had learned with them to these new countries. And there was a magazine called The Triangle, which I just thought was interesting because every YMCA logo has a triangle, right? That Mm -hmm. goes back to Springfield College. Their newsletter was called The Triangle, and they sent that out worldwide also with the rules of this new game. So pretty quickly, in an era where there was no social media, obviously, or uh, email or or, uh, TV, how do you spread the word globally about something? It was because people were going around the world in this newsletter teaching this game. I think uh, you, you're going to go and speak to a lot of kids in schools, just like you have with Strong Inside, about some of the the social issues, the bigger issues, mm-hmm. the historical time. You know, 1936. I mean, obviously, you're you're going right into World War II. You got the Nazis at the time with Adolf Hitler there. I'm sure that's a really fascinating topic for for you to discuss with kids. Absolutely. That's a huge part of this book, more so than the basketball. And just like Strong Inside used basketball as a way to tell a story about uh, civil rights and racism in the South, this book uses basketball as a way to talk about fascism and propaganda and racism and anti-Semitism. And so I think those are the messages that are most important 
when I'm speaking to kids. You use basketball as a hook to get them interested yeah. in reading the book in the first place, and then they learn something about history that is very relevant to today's times, and that's why I'm excited about this book. So just the, the painting the picture, I just imagine, and just whether you're talking about Jesse Owens or, or this or any story of the 1936 Olympics, just the setting, yes. right? Nazi Germany at its height. Yeah, and absolutely. court. <laughs> and on a clay court. Yeah. Right. Well, that's part of the reason why the book is called Games of Deception, because these games were all about deceiving the world. And Berlin was sort of like a movie set. Uh, it was a facade that lasted for two weeks, and then it was torn down, meant to... Uh, impress international visitors into thinking that this is a great country. Whatever negative things I've heard must not be true, right? Mm -hmm. They took down all the anti-Semitic posters and the signs off the benches and um, made people feel welcome there. The people that were making them feel welcome were actually Nazi spies. They were eavesdropping on everything the Americans were saying while they were there. They were intercepting the mail so that anti-Nazi uh, literature wouldn't make it to the athletes in the Olympic Village. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was all a big lie, and a lot of people fell for it. Hmm. You went on quite the whirlwind tour for your last book. Same thing in, in, in motion for this? Yeah, I sure hope so. So I'm headed to um, Philadelphia on Saturday to speak at a conference for teachers who teach the Holocaust. And so the, along with the Holocaust Museum, I'll be there to talk to them about this book. Then I'll speak in Washington, D.C., where I grew up uh, at a bookstore Saturday night. And then I'll head to Kansas next week, which will be great. You know, half this team came from McPherson, Kansas, this little town. And I'm going there to spend a day and then Lawrence, uh, Kansas for a day and then Kansas City, then Louisville for a, a librarian's conference. And um, hopefully things will take off from there. Anybody listening, if you're uh, kids in a middle <laughs> school or a high school, I love to, like Willie, like yeah. you said, uh, visiting schools is right up my alley. And even people's book clubs, if they want to have me come sit in their living room and talk about the book, I'll do it. Now you said the, the librarians conference. I, I just I, that that would be so awesome to sit there. Like what what is that crowd like? I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of librarian conferences <laughs> over the last couple of years, and they're they're really great. I mean, I think that school libraries are the very best part of any school. You know, that's yeah. where kids get to go and be themselves. They choose a book that they're interested in, not one that's been assigned to them. There's a lot of uh, emphasis on diverse uh, authors and diverse subjects in schools right now. And so I learn a lot every time I'm there. They're a little uh, wild and crazier than you might expect, <laughs> too, right? So it's always fun. Games of deception. If you're looking for a uh, stocking stuffer or something for the holidays, that wouldn't be a bad gift. Hey, not, not at all. You can get it anywhere books are sold, uh, in stores and online. Which is pretty easy these days. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of services. You can have it on your front away. porch in a couple oh, of hours yeah. if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, good to see you as always. Uh, I'm sure we'll circle back around to this down the road uh, after you've been out on the road for a while. We'll come back around and do this again. All right. That sounds great. Good to be with you guys. All right. Andrew Marinus. He is the author of The Games of Deception. It's the true story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team in the 1936 Olympics. Go check it out. It's fascinating. Um because we know Andrew's work is fascinating. His last book was a huge, huge success, and hopefully you enjoyed that. We'll come back and wrap up the first hour next on Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025 The Game. It's pretty interesting, by the way, uh, Tom Hart coming up at 11 o'clock, him talking about being in Lawrence, Kansas, and really how this whole thing was hatched, and then he also brought up Madison Square Garden, and ironically, Kansas and... And Duke kind of kicked off. I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to say it was. But, but I mean, you know, look, I watched basketball last night because of those two games. And so it's a great idea. And I don't want to make it like the other ones don't 
you know, they don't count because ironically the ACC was doing conference games because of the <laughs> ACC network. They were all playing conference games last night. But I watched Kansas Duke and I watched Kentucky Michigan State. Uh Kansas had a problem uh passing the ball to their own team. <laughs> a lot of turnovers in that game. Well, in fact, I saw the stat first time they've turned the ball over that much since like the 80s. They had 28 yeah. turnovers. Isn't that kind of what you get though when you you play an early season game I think of that so. magnitude? I think you're going to get part. sloppy play. 28 turnovers. Well, oof. Uh, I think I think there's some people that would tell you that it would be much more common to have a game like that. Remember, I mean Kentucky was it wasn't it last year they just got absolutely annihilated by No, yeah, it was definitely last year and I'll by tell Duke. you what, I, why I Williamson. picked. Yeah. Remember yesterday at the end of the show I was like, yeah, probably was, I would say I'm taking Kansas and Michigan State. Okay? Mm, you missed. Mm-hmm. I missed. <laughs> and you know why? Because Kentucky always, right out of the gates, right? It's yeah. always like, oh, my gosh. Because it's always, you always last have year, freshmen. Last, right. And last year they got smoked by Duke. Absolutely embarrassed. Well, you know what's interesting? How about the fact that they were talking about it after the game? Like, that was that was motivation, especially for the yeah. guys like Hagens and those guys that returned. Like, they, they did not forget getting embarrassed on national television to start off the season, and that served as motivation last night. I guess I didn't factor that in. I just factored in, like, these freshmen every year. It's like Kentucky usually looks very rusty, and they don't look good out of the gates. And last night they looked good. That kid, Maxie, is fun. He is fun yeah. to watch. That kid is good. But don't you think, too, that Calipari's he's tired of having these super teams and not cutting down any nets? and He's tired of not having the championship? So I think I feel like there's got to be something's got to give. So well, I, what I don't know where you're going with that. What do you mean? Well, I mean he's been there. They've won one national championship since he's been there. Yeah, but they've won one. But I, they've won I, one. It's hard to win. It's hard I, to win the national they, championship. They go to the final four. I mean, well, I understand, I but I mean, if you're going to have teams that are that good every year and you're going to reload every year. Don't you need to have more than one title? But couldn't you say I that about? But what were you getting at? Ten programs. So? You're saying he's t- like this was motivation. So like he's I think tired. coming out coming out of the gates and beating the number one team in the country was definitely going to be motivation enough. But then looking back at last year and how they opened the season, even though it didn't really matter, you still didn't want to start off on that that foot. So I think I think that was part of it too. I, I from think Calipari's point of view. I think when you're in early November, regardless of where you are, I think you're. You're trying to build towards something, especially if you're Kentucky and you know that barring some crazy rash of injuries, you're going to be in the tournament. You're probably going to be a contender. You can work on things. I think that's what he's done a good job of, Darren, over over time as he's learned how to do this with a lot of new players every year, is you know you don't have to win the championship on November 5th, right? right? It, it helps well, you Well, he even win. said it at halftime. He's like, it's early November. And yeah, it's a, it's a process, right? It's a, we've got a long way to go. you got to play these games. The, the game needs showcase games. I still, if I were picking, I would not start the season until mid-November at the earliest. I, I would like to push it to after well, Thanksgiving. What, what is that? Okay, so after that's different than mid. So, I mean, Thanksgiving this year is at the end of November. Yeah, so would you start yeah. in December? I think I think mid to late November at the earliest. This is when they used to do it. You used to have like six weeks of practice before you ever played a game, and it did. It seemed like forever back then when when because that's when I was playing. We yeah, but you can't six afford, week of practice. You can't afford to do that now with TV contracts and. I know. I 
it's hard, though, to grab the spotlight regardless. You're in a really tough quandary for men's basketball because the season in terms of the spotlight has shrunk so much that it's hard to get anybody's attention before mid-February, right? But you before do the, stuff before like before this. The casual yeah, fans but they did it last night. Focus that, in. They got my attention. I watched. You do stuff they, like this. You put those four teams playing each other at Madison Square Garden right out of the gates. I'll watch. And didn't they do the playoff reveal kind of around it? Around yeah. it, yeah. So I mean that that's that's perfect. I mean, and you have in between games, halftime, the top four teams yeah. in the country, you know, playing. Yeah, got my. I, I don't know how what else you can do. I mean, if it was and really everybody was as playing. I said yesterday, if Kentucky's playing Transylvania, I, I have no interest. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't lift a finger if Michigan State is playing Western Michigan State Community right, College. Right. I have no interest in those cupcake games out of the gate. They're playing Campbellsville. I'm not watching. I mean, even, e- even Louisville, Miami game, is like, who cares? But even if the game is not as crisp and sharp as it would be if you gave each team another week or two of practice, that that's where I'm coming from. It's like, have yeah, you really but, been able to mold your team well enough but you're de- to you, come out and really look like a, a really great college basketball game right now? You look at it differently, though, because you, you played it and you, yeah. you know, you're, you're analytical, so you're going to look at it differently. I think the average, the average Joe is like, oh, hey, it's a good basketball game. No, you know what I'm looking for? Uh, to your point, Chase, you're right. I'm looking at it different than Willie. Like last year, we saw that game, and it was like the minute we saw it, I was like, Holy cow, Zion Williamson! Yes, holy right. moly! And right. from then on, he and was then must it was watch. A, right. Yeah. It's, so yeah. I'm, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for guys I want to watch, like right. Cassius Winston. Good point. Like I, I'm going to watch him. Okay, for Michigan State, this Maxi kid. Yeah, I mean, he got my attention last night. I'm like, whoa! Tonight, North Carolina plays. Watch for this kid, Cole Anthony. You know who that is? No, that's Greg Anthony's kid. Oh wow. Watch him yeah. tonight, Cole Anthony. Well, I'm looking for guys that are going to get our attention. Trey Jones for Duke. I mean, show me guys that are going. I'm going to gravitate towards, and I'm when they're on because that's what happened. I I didn't really. I mean, I knew of that, but when you watched him, that was the first game of the season. I went, you know, we came in here the next yeah, day, and like, I was like, oh, who is my this guy? Yeah, gosh, who is that freak that was out on the court last night for Duke? Well, you know, might have a couple of those guys. Is Anthony Hardaway down the street in Memphis? Well, now they played Weisman, South Carolina Weisman State. is one, yeah. right? Well, he had twenty-eight points and eleven rebounds last night. Now they played South Carolina State, so that was not a featured game. If they had been playing Duke, we might have those feelings today. So they haven't had the showcase game, but that's a team to watch, right? Now we can say what we want about it. you know how did he go about getting these guys and uh, what's going on over there, but they have the talent, right? They got. They have like a Fab Five kind of thing. Sure. But that's what I'm looking for early on. Like I, I'm looking for for kids that are going to get my attention, and, I, and I'm looking at them going, okay, when they're on, I want to watch that kid play. Like, you know, because that's, especially for most of these guys, it's the good ones. You know you're going to get one year. So show me the guys that are going to get people's attention for college basketball, for the sport, yeah. for this season. And that's – that's what's going to pull somebody like me in that I'm not a huge basketball fan. I like college basketball more than I do the NBA, but that's, that's, what's going to keep me interested. I mean, and also I, I like the fact that you have, you know, the, the blue, blood blue blood programs that are still good. I mean, the Kentuckys and Dukes and Carolina and Michigan state, you know, Florida, I think is going to, going to be pretty good this year. So 
And we'll see what the, the local teams do. Yep. I know Tennessee, Tennessee won last night. They got their win against uh, UNC Asheville. They had the bad news. One of their mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. was ruled. And this is one of those, we talked who knows about it what with they're Vince. thinking about. You know, why did he? Mm-hmm. Why can't he play? But he's got to sit out. Uh, Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, Vanderbilt Alabama plays. Alabama lost. Pennsylvania. I know. How about that? So Vanderbilt plays tonight against Southeast Missouri State, the first game of the Jerry Stackhouse era. See how they look. Yep. Scotty yeah. Pippen Jr. That's right. Point guard. Scotty Pippen was in the house for their last exhibition yeah. game. Sitting front, courtside. Uh, so remember, tonight, North Carolina, Notre Dame, 6 o'clock tip. If you happen to uh, – actually, that's on the ACC network, so I don't know if people have that or not. But if you do and you check out that game, watch Cole Anthony. I'm telling you, he's going to be one of those kids. You're going to be like, okay, all right. When North Carolina's on – Pay attention to that kid. We'll come back. Tom Hart to kick off the second hour of Darren, Donnick, and Chase next.